We are Anthem Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. For all the info you need, visit anthemforall.org and follow at Anthem Church Chicago. Thanks, Steve. Let's give it up for Steve and the team and Deb and all the rest of your elders. Like, you guys know how to do excellence. You know how to do hospitality, I imagine. It's very similar to what Sheba saw when she visited Solomon, and she said, look at how the servants go up and come down. There's just so much wisdom and excellence. So I just want to thank you guys for inviting me. Um, I love being here. So uh, thank you to my wife again for always supporting me and loving me and stopping me on the street. She stopped me on State and Madison. That's how we met. That was like, it's like 13 years ago. So, all right, I'm walking down the street. <laughs> I'm walking down the street and uh, she says, hey, you know, people who stop you and try to get you to sign up for something. Hey, I want you know, there are kids starving in Africa. I'm like, Leah, I'm not trying to hear this. I'm just trying to walk past her. And she's like, no, stop. You listen right now. I'm like, oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> so we stopped. Uh, we, I stopped. We talked about how we loved Africa and missionary work and like how we had a heart to go there eventually. Um... Less than a year after that, we got married in Africa on a missions trip by Heidi Baker. That was in 2006. And uh, right after that, we came back. We did student impact ministry at Willow Creek. And then we uh, went to Bethel for a couple of years and moved back from Bethel to Chicago. Been doing. I also want to honor somebody. You know how sometimes you stand in a place and everybody is like, whoa, that person is awesome. And you don't see all the people who have made a way for you to be where you are. And her parents have been like that to us. My parents live in Oklahoma and Kansas, um, but they've been supporting and loving us and encouraging us for a very long time since we met and got married. So without them, I wouldn't be here. So um, I just appreciate you guys. Um, so yeah, I'm Bam. And I love Jesus. I hope that's how people remember me by, not by a whole bunch of degrees or anything, which I don't have. But <laughs> that's the greatest uh, moniker I could ever say that people are like, man, that dude really knew how to love Jesus. And I do so, um, so much. So today I'm just going to speak to you about Jesus, who is very real to me. I remember, uh, you know, when I fell in love with Jesus, when I got saved, when I was a, a young kid and felt I was called to ministry. The first time I ever preached, I was about 11 years old. And of course, I had to go and get my testimony and go through a lot of other things. Anybody ever wonder why you had to go get a testimony? <laughs> like, God, why did I need that testimony? He's like, you really wanted me to be real, didn't you, right? And he is great at creation, he's great at making things, but he's also amazing at redeeming things. And he has redeemed me in so many ways. Um, I went to a school called Morehouse College in Atlanta. Um, and as I went to that school, I became very militant. I became very uh, suspicious of Christianity. I became very suspicious of white people. I became um, hateful in my heart because of what I saw Christianity had done havoc in the world around us. And it had been used as a reason um, to colonize different countries and, and things like that. And I think God has a sense of someone prophesied over me and said, you're called to bring the races together and you're called to preach the gospel 
So I love that God has given me the opportunity to do that here and begin to uproot all the things that we even have in this country that creates dissonance between us and distance. When God desires unity, but how are we supposed to have unity? You know, we get caught up in that question so much, we don't even like to say the word racism because then it's like, all right, I got to do something about it. Man, but sometimes just looking at it and recognizing and saying, God, what do you want to do? What do you want to do by your spirit? Because it's not by might, it's not by power, it is by his spirit. And I don't want anything that God hasn't mandated because it's just hard, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) You ever have a day where you just, you don't get to pray, you don't get to do anything, everything is just difficult, man. You're like, oh gosh. I'm like, how do people even live in this city without Jesus, man? I need copious amounts of Jesus. We have five children. Copious. <laughs> Just getting them out on Sunday. Woo. <laughs> um, so the text that I'm going to read from today uh, is in Mark 4. And uh, as I was thinking about this time and, and thinking about this passage and processing with Steve about where God has you has you at right now, I feel that there is something about us that is we can align with society a lot of ways and we recognize the boundaries of society better than we recognize the boundaries of the kingdom, which are boundless. So as you are stretching and reaching wide to all that God has for you, that means you might bump into some societal boundaries that people tell you you can't go. Hey, uh, you don't cross that street. Oh, you don't go to this neighborhood. Oh, you have to watch out what's going on there. And apparently Jesus didn't pay attention to doing when you blocked off from him. And so I began to read through Mark as a church at uh, Missio Day, all our congregations where we've been going through Mark over the summer and thinking about how he was radically, supernaturally confronting every single system that stood as a God to rival the real God. And what are some of the gods that we have in this country? We have politics, you know what I'm saying? We got like money, we have entertainment, we have fame, we have all these things that seek to lift themselves up and say that they are bigger than who God is. But who he is is so much larger. And in Mark 4 and 35, just previous to this passage, Jesus is standing in a boat and he's teaching everyone on the shore about the seed and the sower. The seed and the sower is a parable of, you know, the seed going out and falling on different kinds of soil, which represent different kind of hearts. And of course, we want to have the soft heart. So when God throws a seed out, it falls and it springs up and produces 30, 60, and 100 fold. That's the kind of heart that we would like to have. And then Jesus begins And 35, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great multitude and a great windstorm arose, and his waves beat into the boat so that it was already feeling, but he was in a stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, Do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, I got this, homie. 
peace be still. And a wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the one, oh, man. <laughs> oh, that'll just preach itself. So traditionally, people look at this text and they go, hey, you know, we need to have the kind of peace that will make you sleep through a storm. We need to see Jesus as um, our peaceful presence who is always with us, Emmanuel, God with us. I met Emmanuel in here, right? You're still in here somewhere? Anyway, (laughs) God with us and all that is true. All that is true. I started to look at the context of the scripture. Now, the Sea of Galilee, which is really a lake, um, was had a west side, and the west side of the Sea of Galilee was where Jesus's base for ministry was. So it was Capernaum, it was Galilee, it was all these cities, Cana, all these stories that we are used to hearing Jesus do miracles, and you know, what I mean, he like kicking in the door at all these places, and and Mark, um, Mark is like the action hero's gospel. The word immediately or forthwith appears in Mark about 40 times. He is moving the story along very quickly. It's also the shortest gospel. He's just, things are popping and happening quickly. Heard somebody say in Mark 1, Jesus already has hair on his chest and he's healing people. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) He starts off as a little baby, you know, little swaddling baby and you tell the whole story. But in Mark, he's like already getting busy. So the Sea of Galilee on the west side was Capernaum, and there were all these very Jewish cities. And as we know, Jesus was sent to the Jews. He was not sent to the Gentiles. On the east side of the lake was where Decapolis was. It was where he had, shortly after this, his encounter with the man of the Gadarenes. It was a place where Jews did not go. What was so astounding about um, his his meeting or his encounter with the woman at Samaria. Samaria was on the west side of the lake, but it was untouchable to Jews. They would travel 40 miles out of the way just to avoid being near there. In the middle of the day, to talk to a woman who was obviously trying to hide because she was there in the middle of the day and not in the morning, like when you're supposed to go and get water. Jesus was always confronting these societal norms that said women were less than, lepers were unclean, women with the issue of blood were untouchable. He was always confronting that. And this is where, this is the Jesus we follow. We don't follow a Jesus that is more aware of the places that we should not be than we are of the places we actually have authority. That's not the Jesus we follow. We follow a Jesus who is always welcoming and loving and calling us into goodness. And they're traveling on this this boat over, and a storm arises in this middle ground that they're between. And they say, Jesus, teacher, do you not see that we are perishing? What they're really saying is, do you see that we weren't supposed to go to these unclean people? You should have left us in our prejudice over there, Jesus. They're not just like, they knew as fishermen that a storm could arise in a second. What they were saying is, see, Jesus, we're going to, you said the other side. And we just read that and go, oh, it's the other side. We're just saying go to the other side. No, 
Go directly against the stream that society tells you you should follow. Supernaturally, to meet the man of the gatherings. I had a dream once. God gives me a lot of dreams. And I was on a stinky bus. Anybody ever been on a stinky bus in Chicago? Or a stinky train at May? And you're, on it, you're like, who smells like pee? Like, it's smoky. It's just nasty. I was on a bus like that. And I was like, God, get me off this bus in the dream. It was dark, you know, lights didn't work. I'm like, nice, clean, well-lit bus. I was like, this is nice, God. But what I didn't realize is the stinky bus that I got off of was the express bus. So I sat on the well-lit, nice bus that was stopping at every stop. And I looked up and the stinky bus was out of sight, gone. And I woke up and God said, those who get the heart for people who live under the overpasses, for people who are not accepted in society are the ones who will win this city. And that's very much counterintuitive to the way that we move through life. We want to be around the one, you know what I'm saying? They got the skinny jeans on. That's who we want to be with. We want to be around the one that's like the sexy, you know what I'm saying? Like, in a Christian way, sexy in a Christian way. <laughs> we ought to be hanging around those people but Jesus was constantly around the ones who were unlovely they were the others we are all others to somebody and we have people that are others to us this city is so extremely segregated um, that I used to drive Uber and I knew exactly what neighborhood people were going to based on their name. That's how segregated this city is. And we sometimes look at the west side and we look at the south side like, why is it like that? It's just like these are systems that have been put in place that have created... Um, it's made it very hard for people to shrug off the shackles of oppression. And I think as believers, we bifurcate Jesus. We make Jesus either super like supernatural, praying, healing, doing all that stuff. It's amazing people coming to the Lord, all that. Or we make him very justice oriented. And I posit that he is actually both. That he moves in and with the spirit to bless his people to exist and to live. And I think about so many places, cities in the 20s um, experienced a violent riot. Most major large cities around the 20s experienced some kind of race riot. And this includes Detroit, Chicago. One of the worst is where I consider sort of to be my hometown. I grew up there. Um, partially as Tulsa, Oklahoma had one of the worst race riots. And, and what usually happens is all the soldiers went over for World War I and black people couldn't fight in that war, so they stayed where they were. Now in Tulsa, while everybody was over there fighting, the black people struck, struck oil on their side of town. So all the soldiers come back and they're millionaires, self-contained societies, and they're like, Balling out of control, whatever the, you know, balling was in the 20s. <laughs> Crank up the car, I don't know. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. And, you know, something happened. Somebody's like, 
you know, accused of touching a white woman or something like that, and a race riot breaks out, and um, 300 people are killed. So people are shooting people from planes. They're, like, looting and rioting. It's all this violence that is going on. And um, Tulsa has never survived. They've never bounced back from that. If you go to the north side now, it's still very depressed. And it's still very economically depressed. And there are so many neighborhoods in this country that had to experience that. That had to experience being the other. And I personally don't believe that a person can be racist. I believe that racism is systemic. And what can shackle us sometimes or make us not even want to talk about it? It's like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do about it? There's nothing I can do about it. Sometimes we have to put down our pragmatism and just listen. Just hear people's stories and to just think about what God is in this moment where we were. And as we're stretching and reaching, you know, you may have to be in no man's land. Everybody wants to change the world, but nobody wants to be in no man's land. Everybody's like crowded on the shore, like, hey, you know, it's a cool party. (laughs) But how about stretching and reaching across these chasms that are really wounds in society? to be healing. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. There is a balm in Gilead, and that balm is healing even to this country. See, I have a disease, and that disease is I believe the gospel works. I believe the gospel works. I believe following Jesus and believing in him and the power of the spirit, I believe it works. Because of free will, I get as much of God or as little of God as I desire. It's cool. I mean, you know, we can drink out of a thimble full if we would like. It's fine. I'd rather see him as an ocean of goodness and his glory cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, whatever that means. Waters cover the sea? Okay. There was an amazing man um, who people love to honor by drinking a lot. His name is St. Patrick. And St. Patrick was a beast. Like, he was a revivalist. It's nothing less than that. We're like, hey, let's dress like a leprechaun and drink a lot. No, this dude was crazy because he really understands that idea of going to the other side. What I mean by that is going to a place that you are you can be repulsed by. Going to a place where you are deathly afraid of. St. Patrick and that he was Catholic. He wasn't Catholic. Um uh what's the other one? I don't know. Well, he wasn't Catholic. He was Protestant. And so what happens is he was a Brit. And oh yeah, that he's Catholic and that he's Irish. He's not Irish and he's not a Catholic. He was a Brit. So he's stolen from his home at 16 and taken to Ireland and has to serve as a slave for seven years. He learns to have a relationship with God, prays that God would free him. God frees him. He ends up with all these uh, sailors and they are starving and God miraculously provides food. He makes his way all the way back to Britain 
It's like, yeah, I made it. All right. All his friends who were 16 when he left are now older and they're moving on in life. And he is kind of a fish out of water. He has a dream of the Irish people begging him to come back. He goes back to Ireland after being a slave there for seven years. And we know what happens after that. Snakes are gone. People are delivered. He raises 33 people from the dead. He is not some kind of tame, you know, historical figure that should be just venerated as a saint, but he was a revivalist who knew what it was meant to be repulsed by a place, but to go directly towards it. What if your destiny is on the other side of a fence? It's the last place you want to be. Christians have so much authority in the places they don't want to be. That's where all your authority is. And the enemy knows that, so he's just going to, like, make you afraid of being there. Oh, you don't want to go there. I mean, I heard somebody's ex-cousin to the third power got robbed there. (laughs) You don't want to go there. Don't do it. Because he knows if you go there, where you are. Because then you will think you will not realize all the authority and power that you have. St. Patrick had something that was called St. Patrick's Breastplate that he read over himself every day. And it is commonly summarized by these words. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me that we could be stretched and we can be widened and that we can be deepened if we know Christ is already there. What is the societal boundary going to do to me when Jesus is already there beckoning me to come, hiding the gifts that I need on the margins because he knows nobody is going to disturb them there. We as humans are very good at, like, coagulating where things are popular. And Jesus says, I'm going to put all the treasures in the darkness. Isaiah 45 and 17. For I will give you the treasures of darkness, the hidden riches of secret, secret places, so that you will know it is I, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. Puts everything, he puts everything there. Very often we call fear wisdom. Fear tries to assure us what we think is true. Wisdom is confidence rooted in God's truth. Very often fear is like, I'm just being wise, man. Come on. Fear is walk down an alley or somebody has told you when you walk down this alley, you're going to be bit by a dog. So what you learn to do is create a path that doesn't include you going down that alley. Simple. You just, you know, I'm saying I'm going to go on the street to the left or to the right, but it's really important for us to understand why we're doing that. 
in a place that makes it okay and we all end up even further divided. Divided. To create a bridge, one must be willing to exist between two extremes in no man's land. If you, is everybody in here grafted into the branch? Raise your hand if you're grafted into the branch. I'm talking about Jesus. It's just a metaphor. I'm an artist, so I talk in metaphor, but it's in the Bible. But <laughs> So if you are grafted into the branch, that means you should be out on a limb, right? It just seems to make sense. I had a dream of Jesus as a police officer. Now, don't ask me about the theological ramifications of that. But Jesus was a police officer. I was driving along on this road, and everybody was going around this crash, and Jesus was directing traffic. I stopped the car, got out, and asked him um, if I could help. He was like, yeah, you know, go over here, collect some clues, you know, go interview some people. And I'm like, okay, cool, Jesus, I got this. And I woke up, and the first thought I had, which is always important when you wake up from a dream, the first thought that you have, the first thought that I have was, where do Christians have the most authority? We have the most authority where a crime has been committed in the spirit. Like I said, we have the most authority there. It's crazy. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I was living in Oak Park at the time, doing outreach mostly by myself. And I said, I'm going to get on a train and take it to the worst neighborhood in Chicago. This is different. Okay. I was under around child. My father was from South Central LA. So he would take me around the neighborhood there. And you were talking about promises yesterday. One of the promises that I remember God telling me, giving me when I was driving, he's like, you're going to see all this change. That's one of the promises that I hold on to. I got off the train and I'm just walking around. I don't know. I'm asking people, can I pray for them? Like, can I pray for you people? Like, what are you talking about, man? I only had a little bit of time, so I just made one loop. I walked by this young man. He was like 17 or 18. He was on the other side of the street. I'm like, hey, man, can I pray for you? He was like, yeah, one second. I'm like, okay, should I just wait here? So I just waited there. I was standing on the street, and I watched him walk to his house. As he walked to his house, a woman comes out of the house with a butcher knife and starts threatening him. And she's like, get away from my house. I don't know what you're doing here. Da, da, da. And I'm like, Holy Spirit, what should I do? He's like, go over there. <laughs> All right, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> so I walk over there, and uh, I'm just talking to them, you know, about how peace is more important than violence and you know, uh, find out that it is the young man's grandmother. And he comes home, and he's so violent and chaotic lifestyle that he's living that she's just done with it. And we're talking. She's like, you know, I'm an intercessor. I'm like, sister, you got a knife. <laughs> what kind of intercession is that? I heard. <laughs> I'm talking to them about how peace is more important, you know, than violence. And they're like, who are you? I'm like, uh, I'm Bam. I feel like God just sent me down here to talk to you guys. And um, so I'm talking to him a little bit longer. The uh, young man ends up giving his life to Jesus. And him and his grandmother reconcile. 
That's amazing. It's just amazing testimony. And somebody across the street is of adventures like that in a city. And I've seen God show up so many times when we step out in risk, when we step out in faith. Well, God, if you just, you know, like, tell me how everything is going to work out, then I'll step out. He's like, no, I'm not doing that. You know why? Because he is treasures in darkness. Remember I said that? And that means that it is not only hidden from you, it is hidden from the enemy. Whenever you get a prophetic word, why do you start getting attacked? Because this is the first time the enemy is hearing it too. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna get, I know that now who you are. I got something for you now. God, what's happening? I got this word. So he's hiding them, but the enemy doesn't have faith to keep, he doesn't have faith to see it or to believe and keep walking instead. Neither do people in the world who don't follow Jesus. Yet and still, so many times we can be just as reluctant if we don't see the whole thing to follow the word that God has given us. Give me all the steps. Nah, because then you get to decide and reason whether or not you're going to do it instead of just trusting me. So many people have tried to get past that fact about following the Lord, but in reality, it's impossible. <laughs> many people have tried and failed. It's not going to work. And they are wondering why Jesus would bring him, would bring them there just so they can drown. And he's saying, I have authority even over something that makes us think we were wrong all along to press against boundaries. That makes us think as soon as something happens, see, God, I was going to do that good thing and I got in a wreck. See, I knew that thing was wrong. And a righteous and the unrighteous inspire, encourage, admonish you to go to that other side. The other side doesn't just have to be the other side of the street to speak to someone of a different culture who you don't understand. It could be that person at work that you don't like to talk to. When Jesus says, love your enemies, it essentially means you don't get to hate anybody. Dang it! <laughs> love my enemies? Oh, man, because it does something to me when I don't see anyone as the other. I, saw, I start to have a heart for people that I should be repelled by. Somebody smells horribly, and I want to bring them in for a hug. That's the kind of love that God had for me. And I, and I know the man of the gatherings is so glad Jesus weathered that storm to reach out to him. The man of the gatherings who was expelled from the city who could cut himself and would break chains and was so demonized. Whoa, there's somebody coming from the other side of the lake. And he is completely delivered by this Jesus who saw no one as an insider and saw no one as an outsider. And truth, the reality is Jesus had to move in the same kind of circles that we do. He was a Jew. He was called to the Jews. He would say that over, I'm called to the Jews. Why should I give the children's bread to the dogs? Syrophoenician woman is like, you calling me a dog? 
Even the dogs get crumbs. He's like, dang it. I got some butter for you now, sister. There you go. <laughs> I love butter. Does anybody in here hate butter? See, look, that's the survey. I know the answer to it. Does God ever ask you a question that um, you know he knows the answer to? He just wants to see if you know the answer. And bread is amazing. It's wonderful. But you put butter on that bread? Woo, Holy Spirit. That's the way I think of it. So last thing I want to touch on is as we begin to stretch higher, further, deeper, and wider, we must believe our destiny surely includes the other. Our destiny surely includes those who don't look like us. Because how far can our destiny stretch if it does not? We're going to be really shocked when we get to heaven and we've been living on the north side like I do. Where you can really control your interactions with people of color. I can literally see when I surprise people when I show up in a place. Ha ha! <laughs> Bet you want to get them property taxes reassessed, huh? <laughs> What's up? We're going to be really surprised. We get to heaven, and our next door neighbor is Tyrone. Damn, man. I'm trying to avoid that. And everywhere, no matter where we are, has and brings anxiety and fear to us. The most fearful place for me to be right now is the north side of Chicago. Anything can happen to me, and it will be justified. And people that love me and know me are going to be like, well, did he do that? I don't know. He could have done that. People who love me and know me would question my character based on anything that happens to me there. And I think it's important for us to remember that our empathy, our pursuit of the kingdom here in Chicago includes the spirit and it includes justice and my definition of justice is everyone having equal access to God. Some of the Beatitudes real quick. To mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. That word righteousness is always translated as righteousness. It also means justice but it's always translated as righteousness, which makes it feel like a very personal, personal word. But it also means that we have our vertical relationship with God, the cross, and we have our horizontal relationship with people where we get to work out our faith. With fear and trembling, we walk and we love people who it is very difficult to love sometimes because we get offended, we get hurt, People don't understand what I'm even saying sometimes. You guys want to stand up? I want to pray for you real quick. I just want to release a word to you guys. God gave me a, a picture that I want to pray over you. Um, if you guys could hold hands. I just really feel like this is a word to release for uh, Anthem Church and for people who are here a part of this time. And so this picture that I saw is um, 
I saw you with your holding hands like this, walking up a stream. Now, this stream was like running against where you were walking, and you had learned to walk against it. And I feel like that just represents the stream in Chicago, like feeling, um, God, what are you doing? So many people don't understand who we are, what we're doing, when we say we hear you, when we know that you are prophetically speaking into our, our midst and that you have great and amazing plans for the city, and you're walking against this stream and then you come to a waterfall and all the water is falling off and you all have to make a decision and it's like what are we supposed to do at this point because there's nothing beneath us and then I saw one person begin to take a step out and as they took and that land contained guys stepping on these guys steps for you so each person, as you are stepping on these geysers that are steps, you are beginning to flood this plane with the glory of God. That he is taking you these individual journeys that you are on and you are just waiting for him to show up and do what he's going to do. And it's difficult to see what's going on, but I just see as one person steps out, then you all become emboldened. And then as the next person steps out, then you become even more emboldened. And then before you can see it, there is life springing up in a desert every single way around, every single place around you. This is a Kairos moment for you where God is not going to let you down, although you cannot see the staircase, as you take your step individually boldly, there will be an encouragement that just ripples through this community. And I pray right now, Father, um, for everyone at Anthem Church, God. I pray for those who are here under the sound of my voice right now, God. I pray for your power to continue to flow in and through them. I call down every principality, every demon, and hell has no authority here in Jesus' name. I pray your love and your glory would continue to flow through the streets, that it would flow through these aisles, God, that their destiny is assured that everything that you promise you shall bring to fruition. The devil is a sucker and every one of his lies and his words that you would punch in the mouth right now in Jesus name because of who you are. And I just thank you for this moment that we stand in that begins to mirror an eternity with you walking in the peace and the power of the kingdom here. And I thank you for the people who have decided to be rooted firmly here in Chicago for a purpose and for a reason. I don't care if you got a little bit of room. Take a little step. On a count of three. One. <laughs> take another step. One, two, three. And I just thank you, Father, by confirming it by that prophetic act, Jesus, that it is done. That the glory of the Lord will cover Chicago as the waters cover the sea. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. To stay up to date, follow at Anthem Church Chicago and visit us, anthemforall.org. Anthem Church, all of Jesus for everyone.